morning, RD. How are we? I'm going very well, thanks, Apricot. I was uh, up in Sydney during the, the the week, or for most of the week, visiting my my parents up up there, catching up with them and my sister. And I did got up so cooked up some some meals for the freezer for them, some some bolognese and green chicken curry and and beef casserole. So I got about sixteen double serves done and into the freezer and also did a roast dinner for when my sister was up there. So uh, I certainly ate well. <laughs> well that's good. Yeah, it was uh, good. How's your week yeah. been? You probably haven't uh, been up, I'm guessing. No, nah, it's been pretty stressful. Um, I've basically been working two full-time jobs. Um, if, if I ever decide to be a campaign manager for two campaigns again, um, I'm, I'm clearly an idiot. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair, that's a that's a fair bit on your plate isn't it just a touch so we might just jump into it welcome everybody mm. to the victorian campaign check-in number two um we're just going to be going over the news wrap-up from last week uh we will we will be interviewing samantha ratnam later on in the show so stay around for that and i'll also have an announcement at the end so on to our first topic. Holy crap, RD, nominations closed, and there is a record of candidates. There are 740 candidates contesting the lower house for this Victorian election, which is a record in Australian elections, not just Victorian. Yep, and uh, up on the, the upper house uh, has got 454 candidates. It's a massive field yeah I, oh. I i i'm not quite sure how it'll get uh resolved by by voters like us on the ground but that's a that's a that's a huge number of candidates oh yes uh special shout out to the seats of uh point cook and Werby, who are tied for the record of amount of candidates with 15 candidates F- uh, 15 believe, each yeah 15 each um wow. and i believe uh, Daniel Andrews' seat of Mulgrave and Melton both have fourteen. Uh, that'll be interesting. I I wouldn't be betting against Andrews in there, but that's interesting that there's a bit of a uh, bit of competition up on there. Oh yes. Um, personally, I'm probably rather concerned about the informal voting uh, rate because we we know once you know there starts to be too many names on the ballot, kind of thing. Uh, informality tends to skyrocket. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, you know, trying to number like 15 boxes for me and having had a look at some of the candidates and where are we out of like interest, I'd probably struggle to find out who to put last, to be honest. Uh, okay. Yeah, look, that's always a bit of a dilemma. It's usually usually in the, the federal with the big, um, huge sheet. Uh, I, I do up a spreadsheet and try to sort of get it myself a bit, make my own uh, guide, but just refresh me and the other people in the the audience. Uh, the numbering for the uh, lower house uh, is going to be all boxes need to be numbered, or it's going to be a a minimum amount. Uh, they all need to be numbered. Um, I believe there are a couple of like saving provisions, but number all of them. Oh, okay. Um, is what the VEC said, and it's actually been a bit of a recent news item that how to vote cards register. You see, parties now have to register how to vote cards with the VEC to say that it's a valid how to vote card. 
Um, and yeah. a number of how to vote cards have been knocked back, uh, mainly from independents who are wanting to run like open tickets, so not allocate preferences. Um, hmm. The VEC has said having those blank boxes on your how to vote card may be misleading, and so you can't have them. You have to like say number every single box or show numbers next to every box. Hmm. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, the VC is obviously one that gets the, the say. They could probably give two hoots where I think about it, but I would have thought uh, it's fairly reasonable to say these are what we care about. That care about. After that, it's up to you. Yeah, but I mean, it's the VEC. This is the first election they're running under a bunch of new legislation. There's going to be some teething issues, in my view. Yeah. Um, look, fair. Fair enough. What about, what about the legislative, the, the upper house, um, uh, the voting the, the voting requirements for that, particularly given how many candidates uh, are in there? Right. So voting in the upper house, uh, voting in the upper house is similar to the Senate in that you have above the line and below the line voting. However, Victoria is the only jurisdiction in the world that retains the use of group voting tickets. Um, if you vote above the line, you just put a one next to your preferred party, but then the party gets to allocate your preferences and they can do a bunch of deals and you're not entirely sure where your vote's going. Um, personally, I think it's quite undemocratic, so mm. you should be voting below the line where I believe you have to number at least six and that way you can ah. you can control where your preferences go. It's also important to note that like ungrouped independents won't be above the line either. So if there's an independent, then like that's running in the upper house that you've been paying to, you'll probably have to find them below the line. Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's uh, I mean, that, well, that's 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 very interesting. Uh, because that, uh, as much as we'd like to sit here and say, well, we are, everybody's taking their their voting. Uh, you know, seriously as possible, or sorry, as ably as possible in getting out there and making sure that they know about everybody there and the uh, the policies, etc. The reality is most people are squeezing it in and are just going to go in and tick as a minimal number of boxes. So that positioning and the actual set out of the, the paper makes a difference. That's important. I, I noticed the, uh, the uh, one of the teal candidates, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, in uh, Caulfield, she's got the top uh, spot. Daniel Andrews has got the top spot on his ballot paper. paper. Uh, Matthew Guy is in, in, in sixth. Uh, so he's already ahead. Uh, so Matthew Guy's in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in sixth place. But that position does actually either overtly or subconsciously send a message to the voter. Yeah, I, I would probably say it does, at least in terms of donkey voting. Um, while we're on the topic of uh, ballot draws and the positions, I will yep. just quickly highlight Northcote. That's considered quite a key ALP Green marginal seat. Uh, with Campbell Nome, who is the Greens candidate, having drawn just above uh, Labor's incumbent MP, Kat Theonopoulos. So, uh, might help him a little bit, might make the race a little bit more interesting. But I think what will probably make uh, the race in Northcote, Richmond, and a bunch of other inner-city marginal seats more interesting yep. was some news that we had uh, out of the Victorian Libs this week, which is that they would be preferencing the Greens above Labor in a reversal 
of basically the last decade. What are your thoughts on that, Adi? I think that's a very interesting turnaround. I, my cynical side thinks it's uh, a bit of a desperate turnaround. I think there's probably a lot of a lot of clutching at, at straws. Um, if I haven't buggered up that analogy, uh, I think there's a lot of there's probably a lot of I imagine there's a lot of a scrambling around in the uh, in the Liberal Party, going against something that is a established uh it's it's a it's a very it's a very interesting turnaround i'm only seeing that as a bit of a desperate move you're more up on the machinations of what it may mean uh electorally and 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 preference wise i don't particularly see the libs and greens as um yeah they're, they're not really compatible bedfellows in my opinion uh, is there something? What about you? What's your opinion? Do you see it a bit deeper? So, this preferencing decision, in my view, basically locks Richmond in for the Greens at this stage. Um, part of the reason why Labor retained it in 2018 was not just the downslide, it was also helped by the fact that, that the Liberals were not actually running then. Um, and so, a lot of those traditional uh, Liberal voters went to the ALP kind of boosting their primary vote. However, now that the Liberals are running, um, they'll likely vote for the Liberals again. And the thing with the Liberal Party and its voters is they actually have the largest amount of what's called voter concordance. So Liberal Party voters are more likely to follow how to vote cards than any other political party. Ah, okay. I was going to ask you to clarify what concordance meant. Yeah, uh, concordance means how accurately they follow the how to vote card. Um, so most most liberal voters do, I think. Um, um, no, it might just be shy. It might be something like you know forty five percent or something. Um, I will say once again, for the majority of voters, they do not actually follow how to, a how to vote card correctly. Yep. But of the ones that do, they're mainly liberal voters. Okay, so, and in in that in that seat with the. Um... Uh, the, the Greens is it just that seat that Liberal have uh, preferenced the the Greens, or have they uh, done that as a across the board? We'll we'll have to see once the how to vote cards are actually printed. But at the moment, it looks like it's across the board, which could represent mm. a significant shakeup. Um, I'm wow. suddenly looking at seats. Um, like, like I was already looking at Pasco Vale, for example. Um, but you know. Well, like for example, for the Greens, they're running a fairly strong campaign in Pasco Vale. Um, it may not have, you know, the same um, resourcing as, you know, like Richmond or Northcote, for example. But on a good night, with Labor coming off its 2018 high, like primary high, and with Liberal preferences, I mean, they might just squeak across the line in Pasco Vale um, with a favourable mm. redistribution. A lot of things would have to go right. Um, it's going to, I think if they do preference the Greens across the board, it's going to really throw off the numbers. Um, mm. It's going to be interesting to see if this is a decision that they stick to as well later on. Um, as apparently internal liberal sources have kind of started agitating for preferencing the Greens over Labour as, to quote, the party has matured uh, and the Liberals are now facing competition from the Teals. 
Wow. Um, okay, that's that. That's very interesting. That's you know pushing further into the territory we've discussed in uh, past episodes of the the impact of the the teals and the impact of the maturing greens as a part. The greens as a maturing party. Mm, yeah, it will definitely be interesting, particularly if anyone gets elected because of it, mm. or at least partly because of it. Because traditionally, once a Green gets elected at a general election, they're pretty much there to stay until they retire. So it could have quite lasting impacts. And is there been, has there been any sort of uh, reciprocation from the, the, the Greens? You know, any, any bumping up, any moving around of their, their preferences uh, now that's become uh, common or now that's become known what the Liberals are doing? Nope. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, obviously, like my position within the Greens was standing. There hasn't, like, we don't, we haven't even spoken with them. Um, we're like liberals doing what you're doing, whatever you guys want, whatever. We're not talking with you. Ah, uh, fair mm. enough. Fair. Enough. You're talking with Labor at all? <laughs> Me personally, <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> State office, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, but yeah, well, this weekend well, has represented quite a uh, quite a dash because you know ballot roll was on Friday, and now we're all working out the how to vote card um, design and everything. So yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, oh, that'd be interesting. And, and look, what I've, I've noticed that the um, the the housing uh, housing crisis is getting a little bit more. Um, uh, play in the, the the media this this week. Uh, I know that's that's something that you have have mentioned a number of of times. Are you seeing anything substantial being discussed, or is it more of the uh, the, the the pledges that are not particularly meaningful? How, how have you seen that? I would lean more towards pledges that aren't really meaningful at this stage. What I will say that's interesting is in in my personal experience, because um, like obviously you know the Greens are campaigning quite heavily on climate, um, like climate and housing and integrity. Um, yep, I'd argue that those are probably the main you know things we're campaigning on at the moment. Housing is the number one issue that people are really kind of talking. It's probably more so than climate change at this point for me personally out here. Mm. Yeah, look, I can understand that. It, it does seem to be a, a a common thing that the closer you get to the the pointy end of the election, the more those those real tangible life uh, life uh, topics and and life issues come to the the front. You know, it is uh, fine to have the opinions about climate change, but if it comes down to something like climate change versus uh, housing for the family, it's an easy call as to which is going to get the focus. Yeah, pretty much. What about you, Auntie? What news stories have captured your interest in the last week? Look, that was that was the uh, that that was the one that sort of uh, that got my um, attention. Oh, look, one this wasn't a this wasn't a news story so much as that. Well, this is basically an, an anecdote. However, it was it was interesting. We went over to some. Uh, friends last night they've got a a, <clears throat> a, a son 14 and a, a girl 11 
And I looked on the fridge and I said, oh, what's that? And one side of the fridge is uh, set up for Labor and the other side's set up for for Liberal. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> their, their son, he's uh, he's gone on the Liberal side. Uh, their daughter, 11, she's gone on to the, uh, the, the Labor side. Uh, uh, sorry, other way around. Uh, the the son's gone onto the labour side, and the daughter's gone onto the liberal the liberal side. Uh, I was talking with yeah, and it's just sort of funny. Yeah, her kids sort of have their their things set up, and you know, they've she's got uh, the the picture of uh, Dan Andrews, but then some derogatory uh, liberal <laughs> liberal thing cut out of the the paper there, and he's got a he's got a uh, information from the the local. Uh, the, the local candidate but i thought what was interesting is one that they've got that that interest i certainly didn't at uh, at that age but when mm-hmm. i was quizzing them a bit more and I, I do tend to quiz kids in this situation uh and ask them about independence they were both of them were adamant that they didn't want an independent that they wanted a team in place and i said to them uh when have the what what about a party like the greens that is established party what if they're a better representative for the area? And they sort of paused and thought and said, oh, okay, well, maybe if they're a party, we might consider that we'd like our team to win. And they talked in terms of team and federal um, mm-hmm. influence as well. But I thought it was interesting that they paused on the uh, the, the green. So that was yeah, that was just a little uh, an, an anecdote, but it was interesting to to see a real example of it. Thank you very much. Speaking of the Greens, uh, we have Samantha Ratnam, uh, leader of the Victorian Greens, joining us now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, just invited her to speak. There we go. Samantha, how are you? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Samantha. Good morning. Nice to join you. Audio is coming through okay? Yep, we can hear you. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you for being here today. Uh, We might just jump straight into the questions. Um, uh, You you may have heard earlier we were talking um, about, like, the Liberals' preferencing decision now, deciding preference uh, the Greens. So it kind of leads into our first question where there's been a bit of talk about the possible gains that the Greens will make at this state election, the most obvious ones being Richmond, Northcote and Albert Park. Um, what's your sense of the campaign so far? Well, it's feeling pretty exciting on the ground and I think that's because of what happened particularly at the federal election. We saw a real change in mood across the country. We saw the highest green vote um, for example, in Victoria, well, right across the country, and that included Victoria, more people moving away from the major parties with their votes at record low levels. And I think that's because people want stronger action on issues like climate change, on inequality, like housing inequality, and strengthening integrity. And that's what we're talking to people about, and people are really resonating with that message. So we're really hopeful that that translates to electing more Greens in the next Victorian Parliament. Awesome. So 
this is your, please correct me if I'm wrong, but this is your second election as leader of the Victorian Greens. Uh, what would you say are the main differences uh, between the two campaigns? And are there any specific lessons that you and the party have learned since 2018? Well, a couple of reflections on the differences four years on. One, in terms of the issues that are really impacting voters. And, you know, one observation I've had being on the campaign trail is about what's being talked about, but more importantly, what's not being talked about, especially by the major parties. So in Victoria, we've had, you know, really disastrous flooding events in the last couple of months, and we're being warned about bushfires to come because climate change is now here. In places like Victoria, we're starting to see climate disaster events happen much more frequently. And with that, communities are really thinking about, well, how do we take stronger action to prevent more of these disasters from happening? And there are things that we can still do to protect ourselves against the worst impacts of climate change. But it means getting out of coal and gas, for example. They're causing the climate crisis, yet neither party, major party, has a plan to get out of coal and gas. In fact, they're going the other way. They've actually opened up new fields for gas drilling, like near the 12 Apostles in Victoria. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do in the midst of a climate crisis. So people want much stronger action on climate change they're willing to put their vote towards that action. So we're seeing that on the campaign trail. Issues like housing affordability, you know, when I started Parliament, the waiting list for public housing was around 87,000 people. It's grown to over 120,000 people now. Rents are rising exorbitantly, whole generation of young people being locked out of housing affordability. So those issues are really impacting Victorians and we're starting to feel um, people want real strong action on the campaign trail and willing to change their votes because of those issues. It's interesting you mentioned those just before you came on. We were, were talking about some of the issues that uh, came up and, you know, housing crisis and affordability uh, certainly is, is figuring as a, as a main one. We were, we were sort of talking about uh, how the voters are viewing something as, uh, as immediately tangible like the housing crisis versus what for some people is it's, it's slightly more remote to them with the, the climate change notwithstanding the, the horrible things that happen in the fires. Mm. Do you think people prioritising those two issues, how do you see that playing out? Well, we do know that cost of living issues are front and centre of people's minds because those cost of living pressures are really bearing down on people. And we know housing is one of the biggest cost of living pressures. It's one of the costs that have gone up the most over the last you know, decade, but particularly over the last couple of years. So people want strong action, like stronger protection for renters, which is why we've proposed a cap on rent increases as one measure to bring those cost of living pressures down for renters, building hundreds of thousands of affordable homes and public homes. So we bring down the cost of housing for, you know, particularly that young generation who are being completely locked out of housing affordability. So we know those material issues impact people very, very directly. And it's definitely what people are talking about. But, you know, when we're talking to voters and we're talking to, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of voters every week that goes by as we're heading towards the election, people are raising climate change, um, you know, first and foremostly um, as one of the big issues. They're seeing it played out. They just have to watch the news to see these climate disastrous events. Mm. And if you go up, you know, into northern Victoria, where they're directly impacted by this now, and I was there just yes, a few weeks yeah. ago, you know, you know, they, they have to now clean up from the floods. Then they're warned about the next floods. And they know that's climate driven. So they're thinking about, you know, what do we do now to stop the worst impacts of this? So that's also coming up very strongly for us. 
Mm. Okay. Oh, well, it's going to be interesting to uh, come out there. I mean, they don't have to be mutually ex exclusive, I suppose. Uh, there, there is a bit of an overlap. You know, climate is important to so many people that it's it's featuring significantly on the, the platform of a number of parties and, and independents. So, look, it'll be interesting to see how that, that goes. Uh, the next question we've got... Uh, Daniel Andrews, uh, he, he ruled out a minority government claiming, what have we got here? Claiming that no deal will be offered and not uh, no deal will be done. Uh, do you consider that's basically just, just bluster? I mean, if there's a, a hung parliament, are you expecting to get a call from the, the Premier's office? And let's assume there is a hung parliament and you do get the call from the Premier's office, uh, what would your policy priorities be should a minority government form? So we are used to hearing some of this on the campaign trail, but, you know, ultimately elections about are about what voters want to happen in terms of who they want to form government. And should um, voters vote in a way that doesn't live, deliver the, the Labour Party a majority in its own right, um, and they need to talk about shared power, you know, we're really urging the government and the Labour Party to talk to us about working constructively and cooperatively to form a really progressive parliament in this next parliament. You know, we've got a couple of really big threats in terms of Victoria's democracy. We're seeing, you know, really far-right parties now try to take a foothold in the Victorian parliament. We want to make sure that we have a really progressive parliament, both in the upper and in the lower houses, so that we can work on issues like climate change, about strengthening environmental protection. You know, we're in an extinction crisis as well. There's some really devastating reports coming out today about the extent of logging uh, old growth forests in Victoria. Wow. We're gonna lose all these forests, um, which are really important carbon stores for us and protect so much of our biodiversity and our waterways. We need to tackle things like housing affordability. We need to strengthen the integrity. You know, so many people are losing trust and faith in political systems and politicians. So we've got to really yes. tackle that head on. So we want to work constructively and cooperatively with a future Labor government. Should that be in a shared power arrangement? Because voters want that. We're really encouraging the Labor Party to respect the will of voters if that's what the result is and form a progressive parliament in the next term. And really, do you think that uh, it's it's all very well for him to say that there's not going to be any, any deal, but uh, given who the alternatives might be in the case of minority government, does he have any real alternatives? Look, if you want progressive parliaments, if you want progressive action on issues like climate, housing, integrity, then we do need to work together right across the parliament. That being said, we won't form government um, and we won't be doing any deals with the Liberal Party. They're lurching further and further to the right and it's really dangerous for um, you know, the kind of action that we need to take on climate and housing and integrity. And they're, you know, starting to court these, um, you know, far-right groups and bodies. And we're really worried right. particularly about what's going to happen in the upper house. So we won't be working with the Liberals, but we certainly are open to working with Labor to form a progressive government in the next term. Oh, so you, in that instance, and this is, <laughs> this is wildly hypothetical and... Um, mm -hmm. Apricot and myself have a long history of how uh, small a chance we've got of the, the Liberal government getting in or even getting close to minority. But let's let's speculate. Let's be hypothetical. You're saying in the instance where if for some reason the, the um, Matthew guy got across the line and was able to make a minority government, you'd essentially have the uh, 
the same approach as what Daniel Andrews is saying with you, that there'd be no deal offered, no deal would be done? Well, you just have to look at how far to the right the Liberal Party have lurched, particularly in the last few years, where polls apart when we're talking about our vision for Victoria. Um, they're actually proposing undoing some of the really progressive action that we've taken in Victoria over the last decade. So it's really important we work towards getting more progressive parties elected to the next Victorian parliament. There's, we want more Greens. There's some independents uh, who are running very strongly on climate change and integrity. You know, we need a diversity of voices in that next parliament, but a progressive bunch of diverse voices in that parliament um, to make sure that we get action on those really important issues and the Liberals are the furthest um, thing you can come when it comes to progressive parliament, and that's been my experience in the last few years especially. Sure. Mm. Okay. Yep. Thank you for that, Samantha. We might move into our final question, uh, which is, throughout the last year, the Victorian Greens have made some headlines over a supposed turf problem, uh, where some members and in at least one case an elected councillor has made some statements that many consider to be transphobic. Do the Greens have a turf problem? And if so, what actions have you taken? Well, I think, you know, if you look at what's happening um, more broadly in our community, um, right across the board, we're getting um, extraordinary attacks on our trans and gender diverse communities. They're being used as essentially political footballs in these um, kind of ideological wars between, um, for example, certain political parties as well. And it's really important that we maintain vigilance about protecting the rights to access and inclusion for trans and gender diverse communities. And that's certainly something that the Greens absolutely hold fundamental to our core in supporting trans and gender diverse communities to access full rights to participation, inclusion. And uh, our record in terms of our policy platform is the strongest it can be when it comes to supporting trans and gender diverse communities' rights, um, strengthening, strengthening them in the next parliament. We've outlined a whole bunch of policies to support that even further. Um, so, you know, when it comes to our record on the ground in the last parliament, every opportunity that we had to strengthen the rights of trans, trans and gender diverse people, we took. And even in that last few weeks, there was a bill before the parliament, we moved amendments to make sure the language in that law was much more inclusive of trans and gender diverse communities, and we will keep pushing every opportunity that we have. So what we're seeing more broadly, however, is an extraordinary attack on trans and gender diverse communities, and the Greens will fight that with everything that we have, call it out whenever we see it, um, and that's right across the board. Thanks. Thank you for that. Um, before we finish up for today, everyone that comes on the show gets a chance to plug something. Um, so if you want to go ahead and plug a website or something like that, you can feel free to do so now. Well, sure, I'd love to. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, early voting actually starts tomorrow. So the election's on the 26th in two weeks, but early voting starts tomorrow. So everyone has the opportunity to vote. If you can't vote on election day, for example, or it's um, better for you to vote a little bit earlier, um, you know, find out where your polling booths are and go head on to vote. It also means that we need people to help um, hand out how to vote cards on election uh, election day and at early voting. So if you've got some time, you'd love to support the movements, love to support the Greens, 
Um, we'll put the link a little bit later in this chat uh, where you can sign up, uh, encourage everyone, even if it's your first time, if you haven't done it before, it's super fun. Um, you meet some incredible like-minded people and those conversations you have at the booths are pretty interesting, even with, you know, the diverse parties there. Um, it's been my experience. So um, even if you've never done it before, really encourage you to get involved. Um, you know, democracy is really important. This election is going to be really important Um particularly because of those issues that are facing Victorians and we have a real opportunity to create progressive change. And what's the best way for people to uh, contact you to find out about how they can volunteer? So I'll put a um, web link very soon in this chat. I'll click on that link and it's quite easy to sign up to volunteer. Oh, very good. Very good. No problem. Uh, Samantha Ratnam, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. All the best. Have a good day. Thanks, Samantha. I thought that went fairly well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I was happy with that. It's always good to hear. Uh, for me, it's always good to hear direct from from somebody rather through a rather than through a, a filter. And I think people appreciate um, when people like Samantha make themselves available. You know, it's 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 one of those things that I think is important for democracy. And it doesn't really matter what side of the fence you're you're sitting on. Hearing something directly, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. It's also worth noting that we have, as the moderation team, reached out to the Labor and Liberal parties, and we have yet to hear anything back from them. So we do really appreciate Samantha Ratnam for her time this morning. We do. And look, that's the that's the other side. As a, uh, I suppose it's a bit of an a, a side and a bit of information for other people out there. It's It has been our experience that the, the Greens, both federally and at state levels, are uh, well and truly open to this this newer way of of communication now obviously we're involved here so we have a bit of a bias as to how valuable it is however uh younger voters are not resorting to to snail mail and newspapers this is the medium that they're on and i've got to say it sort of does my head in a little bit how difficult it is uh we've had a couple from, from Labor. Um, I don't think we've yet had a, a Liberal person participate in an, an AMA or something with our, our sub, but it does my head in a little bit just how uh, averse and blind they are to the value of this as a medium. Hmm. Indeed. Now, before we finish up for today, uh, I, do, I just wanted to check with you if there's any kind of niche seats or anything that you'll be watching on election night at this stage, you know, if there's been oh. any change. Well, no, probably Hastings is, um, and for the the people out there, Hastings is the the seat in which I'm located. That seems to have been come a, a bit tighter, a bit more, a, a bit more interesting. The peninsula itself has become interesting. We were um, speaking with the Kate Lardner the other other week, who's over at at Mornington, um, and it just seems to be getting a bit more focus because it seems to have tightened up. Now I don't. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, I've only been down here for, what's it coming out, 15 years, something like that. But in that time, I've definitely seen a, a change in the number of people coming down. There's a lot more uh, families with the, they put, they put in a, a freeway down the middle of the peninsula and that has contributed to growth. So I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing that there has been enough of a shift in the demographics that these seats have gotten even tighter. So, look, that's going. I mean, you 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 mentioned the the uh, the usuals, the Northgate, Richmond, Albert Park. I'll be very curious to see how they go. I also thought too, when you were talking about uh, 
Werribee and, and Point Cook and the number of candidates they've got there. I'll probably have a bit of an eye on them. But look, my priority uh, this election is is going to be first and foremost uh, following what's happening with, uh, with Hastings and Mornington Peninsula. But I think there's enough close seats all around that it's going to be interesting for for everyone concerned. How about you? What's what's your focus, Apricot? Uh, I am definitely going to be watching Pascavale, um, mainly just because you know the redistribution has really kind of shifted things in that seat. Um, I'll also personally be interested in Footscray as well, um, and I reckon I'll probably hmm. be watching Werribee and Point Cook as well. Just Point Cook mainly because uh, Joe Garrow will be running in Point Cook, um, who previously ran for Werribee and. You know, he ran a pretty decent campaign last time, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes this time in a new seat. Um, yep. And where it be mainly just because of the amount of candidates there. It's going to be really kind. I think it's going to be a very long and uh, very disruptive count at this stage. <laughs> oh, be interesting to see how interesting to see how it turns out. It's um, my guess is though it'll be counted faster than Arizona. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to get into US poll. I don't want to. No, 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 no. But it's. I, it's. I, it'll be interesting to see how how quickly that is uh, handled. So yeah, look, they're uh, they're my they're my main ones. And and what have you got on uh, for the the rest of the day as we're heading into the the end part of the program? I am going to be creating booth kits. I'm going to be volunteering. It's going to be great fun. Um. So, so you're going to be creating what? Uh, booth kits. Um, so they're the kits. You did say biscuits. People... No, no, not biscuits. Booth kits. Oh, uh, that's so... <laughs> I had an image for a moment of you with a an apron on in front of the um in front of the oven. And I thought, oh, isn't that nice? He's going to be going out and giving his uh his volunteers a few bickies. Okay, I'm sorry. So booth kits, right? No, no, no. yeah. I'm I'm helping my <laughs> local green campaign today. We're going to be putting together some booth kits for early voting tomorrow. Oh, um, very, very good, very good. Yeah, I've got. I don't know whether I've got a uh, a break in the the weather that's going to get me out in the garden, but I've got some. Uh, there's there's a bit of uh, work and repairs I've got to do on something in the the garage. So either way, I've got the got the afternoon sorted out. It's going to be for very for very practical matters. Fabulous. Well, that's it from us today. Uh, the last thing that I would just like to mention is that, unfortunately, this will actually be my last campaign check-in, um, and it'll also be my last time on Talking Ozpol as well, because I am stepping back from my role as moderator of R slash Australian Politics. Uh, basically, my life has been a bit too busy lately. So, yeah. Well, look, I I can't tell you how much I uh, uh enjoyed working with you on uh both as a moderator but also on this this is this has been fun to to do and i genuinely appreciate one the time and effort that you put into this and two your your knowledge i mean you know i'm i've i've just got such a basic knowledge and yours are so uh in in depth so look i'm going to miss uh going to miss talking to you uh here on talking ospol and campaign check in apricot it's been a, a lot of a lot of fun I've, I've genuinely enjoyed my time with you and you're a genuinely nice person thank you very much Ajit. i've enjoyed my time with you as well yeah well look thank you for thank you for that and i'll let you do your final sign off y'all have a good week everyone <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Apricot. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye.